As a dad, how much time do you spend correcting your boys versus the time you spend affirming and encouraging them? Here's pastor and author Byron Yawn. I tell my sons all the time, I observe these things in them, and I'll tell them, son, you're so gifted in this area. And I'll dialogue with them about it, and I'll help them see it, and it encourages them along. But in doing that, I'm helping them have a self-awareness where he's deficient, where he's good, where he needs to grow, where there are struggles in his soul that he's going to deal with for the rest of his life, just to have an awareness of those things. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. Every son is longing to hear words of affirmation from his father. Are you generous with that or stingy? We're going to talk more about it today. Stay tuned. Welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. If I were to uh, scan your your iPod, you got any music on your iPod? What's it to you? I just want to know. <laughs> I want to know. Like, what would what it's would a little you personal? What personal would you have deal. been listening to? Huh? What might you have been listening to in in days? Here, here's my real question. Any Andrew Andrew uh, Andrew Peterson? Okay, all right, that's good. You, you get a high five from me for it's, that. It's uh, may not be on on my iPad, but it is it. <laughs> What's it on? It's on. Uh, it's on a cassette. <laughs> no, no, you have a cassette? no. It's not on a cassette. Okay, if you want to, if you want to do that, okay. Would you share with our listeners what you did, what you tweeted? You going to tell them what you tweeted? <laughs> huh? This, actually, if you want to play this game, you know what? This actually, I know the Bible says not insult for insult, <laughs> but this is all just having having some good time fun. Uh, we've got a pretty good crowd out out in the outer area here in the studio. This is a good eyewitness. This actually involves our guest. Did you know that? Does it really? Yeah, I was on my way to Nashville, and I was going to try to hook up with our guest, who's a pastor in Nashville. Can I introduce him? You can. Byron Yawn joins us on Family Life Today. Byron, welcome. Huge privilege to be here, guys. Byron is the pastor of Community Bible Church in Nashville. He's an author and a speaker, and I was trying to send a direct message to Byron. I was trying to send him a direct note and say, hey, give me a call on my cell phone and so we can figure out where we're going to have lunch. But it didn't go as a direct message. It went to the whole Twitter sphere. It was my, my he, phone number. He tweeted his cell phone number. Have we had enough of this? Uh, we have. We have. Byron Yon has written a book called What Every Man Wishes His Father Had Told Him. And the reason I was asking you about your iPod is because he's got a list in here of, you call them man laws, right? Man laws, right. You may never refer to clothing as an outfit. <laughs> on you. You can call your wife's clothing an outfit, right? Can't you say that's a nice outfit? Technically, yes, but you could also use other terms if you just wanted to be safe. <laughs> but you can't ever say outfit. If you have something on your shoe. On the heel. On the heel, and somebody, hey, you got something on your shoe back there. You can't do the 
pirouette thing and look back. There's no way to look masculine. To Where do you that. look over the no, shoulder. No, see, that so, just that <laughs> gives me the willies. But I, I even <laughs> pretended like I was doing it. You gotta, you gotta pick your heel up in there front you of go. you. That's how men do it. And uh, th- I, this one before it was good too. You must be able to locate at all times the duct tape in your house when asked. You have to know exactly where it is and be able to lay your hands on it. With, that, that's a man about five tool. Seconds. That's a man tool. Well, your book is about real manhood and real identity as a manhood. If you were asked to really give us the essence of what true manhood is all about, what real masculinity is all about, how would you answer the question? I think it's self-evident. I mean, when somebody asks me what's the definition of, what's the biblical definition of manhood, the Bible doesn't really provide one because it's a self-evident thing. You mean Uh, like everybody knows what it is? Is that what you're saying? I don't know that everybody knows. I think most ignore what it is. I think the difference between men and women is obvious. Uh, The roles that they play are innate in us and God-given. I thought where you were going with that is because we have the Bible, it's pretty self-evident we have the God-man. And it's written about him, especially the New Testament, the Gospels. That would be my ultimate answer, Dennis, is that the question really isn't, what is manhood as much as what does manhood look like when Christ is in it? And I think that one of the observations that I've made in my own life is that when I come across books on biblical manhood or being a man that, you know, as a Christian, being a Christian father, Christian husband, that we point to all kinds of examples. Some are biblical, Moses, otherwise, and some are historic but rarely do I find the chapter on Jesus. And I think, without a doubt, Jesus is the definition of what it means to be a Christian man, a biblical man. Okay, but you know that there are women who are listening who are saying, so is he not the model of what it means for me to be a follower of Christ? Is he just, he's a picture of a man? I think Jesus Christ and the gospel are also the perfect example for femininity as well, as as well as masculinity. Ephesians chapter 5, when it describes the wife's role within marriage, points to Jesus. And when it describes the man's role within marriage, it points to Jesus. It's the virtues of Christ, the person of Christ in the male affects him in particular ways. So how do we tease that apart? How do How do we find what it is for a guy to be a godly man and what it means for a woman to be a godly woman if we're both looking at the same person? I think that the responsibilities for each are different within marriage. And the responsibilities for each are different within the genders. But I think the virtues of Christ in dwelling a person through the spirit, whether male or female, give that life and are similar self-restraint, self-sacrifice, humility, service, devotion, prevail in each. Unconditional love and sacrificial love is what makes the wife's role powerful and at the very same time what makes the husband's role effective and powerful mm-hmm. and creates that symmetry. I appreciate the, the, the church's recent recovery of masculinity, that it's okay to be male and to do what males do. And I think it's necessary. I think the church has done a very bad job at making men 
a part of the context of the church. And in, in many respects, have the church has been guilty of feminizing men and maybe trying to create better girlfriends than for their wives than they are leaders. Explain what you mean. I mean, unpack that a little bit. I think the church has designed itself over the past 40 years through the seeker movement to reach the emotional needs of women primarily, and that's not wrong, because men were absent and have been absent in their spiritual leadership and have not really recovered the men by speaking to men in their responsible context the way that you should. And I think over the years, rather than having pastors who were men's men who could communicate, relate, reach out, pull up, do whatever was necessary to reach them, they just kind of morphed men over into this form of spirituality that didn't have teeth and didn't really allow them to be human and to be men. And I think the church has, in many cases, obviously responded to it and pushed back against it. So now now you have, you know, man camps and bacon and, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden we've discovered, hey, it's okay to be a man. And the church should be a place where masculinity is encouraged and taught and it's it's safe and all of that stuff is normal. And, you know, when I sit down with couples in premarital and I ask the bride, tell me what it is you're looking for in this man. When she gets to the end of her description, what she's described is a really good girlfriend and not a leader. Because if wives, many who pray for their husbands to become spiritual leaders, if they ever really got that prayer answered, they might not want what they get. Because a biblical man, a Christ-centered man, will love Christ more than he loves his wife so that he can love his wife as he should. And sometimes that requires self-sacrifice, the lowering of a living standard to do what you should do with your resources. And so masculinity under the Christian banner is, it's not William Wallace, it's Christ. It's uh, humble and it's self-sacrificing and it's quiet and it's, it can be ordinary and it can be invisible and it fits all kinds of contexts. All kinds of personalities. Absolutely. It's not, a, you know, it's not a guy that likes to swing from one rock to another or likes to, you know, hike the Blue Ridge Trail and, and tie knots. It, you know, it, it, you know the, it's not exclusive to one type of personality. It's, it's Christ embodying a man through the Spirit, affecting him in a way that looks like Christ coming out as he serves his wife and his children. I mean, Jesus dispelled the notion of over-the-top masculinity with his own disciples as they approached Jerusalem and said, hey, which role in the cabinet am I going to get? And Jesus turned his disciples, or he pulled them over on the side of the road, and he said, now you've been taught your whole life to, to view leadership like the Gentiles view leadership with authority and power. But I tell you, it's not that way with you, nor shall it be when you get authority. He who wants to be the greatest of all will be the servant of all. And Jesus preached lowly 
humble, broken servanthood. And I think it takes more strength of character to serve and to use your power and authority for the good of others than it does to use it for yourself. That's Christ in a nutshell, whom had all the power of divinity, but didn't use an ounce of it to relieve his own suffering, but to serve others. That's that's biblical masculinity. I think the question that we ask you is uh, a difficult one in, in one regard. Uh, we ask, what's the difference between a man and a woman if Christ is in both? I, I do know this. I, I don't know all the distinctives of what that means right there, but I do know this. It takes Jesus Christ for a man to become what he was created to be. That's well said. Period. Now, let me give you maybe the answer you were looking for. A real man is the person that the rest of us depend upon, who is consistent, predictable, humble, responsible, committed to what he's been given, and trustworthy at the end of the day. That's consistent biblical manhood. And it might look different in many people, but... You were adopted by your dad when you were five years old. Did he model authentic biblical manhood? Did you see these qualities in him? Most consistent man I ever knew. I mean, you could set your watch by his life. And just that alone taught me volumes of what it meant to be a man. Hmm. And just about life in general, about success, um, about accomplishing things. I mean, it was all kind of resident in this aura of of who he was. And I don't mean to marbleize him. I mean, he, he's somewhat of a statue in my mind at this stage. He's been dead now for 15 years. But um, he was a sinner, saved by grace, but was a very consistent, trustworthy feature, a, a mooring in my life. And you've written a book called What Every Man Wishes His Father Had Told Him. What were the things that your father not only modeled for you, but told you? How did, how did he help shape you to become the man you are? One of his main emphasis, particularly uh, throughout my life, was on that message of consistency and plotting um, being diligent in the small things over a long time is what produces real results in life. And don't aim for the get-rich-quick scheme. Don't take the shortcut. Uh, but discover what you're supposed to be doing in life and do that. And do it consistently and do it well. And when the time is right, you'll reap the rewards for that. But it'll come at a time where you're responsible and capable with those greater rewards. So he he preached consistency and required it. And and what did that look like in your life? I mean, consistency can sometimes sound to guys like boring. You do the same thing. You put your pants on the same way every day. It's or just, being boxy. Yeah. Boxed yep, in. Right. Well, he, but he made consistency exciting. And it wasn't as if he forced me to become something I... It was in the things that I wanted to do. It could have been in athletics, regardless of how successful I might have been. And I would tell you, Bob, in football, I was quite successful. But <laughs> regardless of how successful I might be. Pretty it, small high school. Yeah, it was the commitment to the team. That's exactly big fish, small pond. 
It was a commitment to the team. It was a commitment to practice. It was the discipline of it. It was, you know, the study of the game. It was being a good teammate. But the consistency of all that kind of stuff, not a starter only, but a finisher. And, you know, those are the kind of lessons. that. But what was great about him is that he took the time to pull me aside to give me these little lessons and when I was eight and nine that I remember when I was 29 and 39 years old. What I, what I hear you saying was he enabled you to feel comfortable in your own skin, Very and that's much. something you write about in, in your book. That's something that every man needs to somehow embrace, be the man God made him to be? That's a main thrust within the heart of this book is that a father's role is not, particularly with his son, is not to groom his son to become the thing that the father always wanted to be or to fulfill the dreams of the father, but to help his son discover what he should be doing with who he is. And I think this is a major failure on many fathers' parts is that they don't help their sons discover who they are, where they're gifted, where they're not gifted, what they should be doing. I tell my sons all the time, I observe these things in them, and I'll tell them, son, Wade, for instance, you're so gifted in this area. And I'll dialogue with them about it. And I'll help them see it, and it encourages them along. But in doing that, I'm helping them have a self-awareness where he's deficient, where he's good, where he needs to grow, where there are struggles in his soul that he's going to deal with for the rest of his life, just to have an awareness of those things. Yeah, if, you, if all you talk about is what he's, what he's good at and all the positive, it can become flattery at that point and begin to lose its edge in terms of really helping him grasp what what God's imbued him with, what kind of gifts and talents he has, right? Even, you know, when it comes to his struggles, my son's struggle with sin and the kind of the bends in their frames as human beings. And this, this one struggles with materialism and this one struggles with discipline and which is true to all of us. I can graciously and gently point those things out and then show him how the gospel and Christ help him sanctify those things. Because what ends up happening with most men is that no one ever points those things out, grooms their character, and they get into marriage, and two or three years in marriage, those things come out. They're discovered, but they've right. been there all along. Right. So to help a, a man get comfortable in his own skin, who he is, that's a part of it. And I, I think many men suffer from substantial insecurity. How did your doctor father respond when you told him that you thought you want to go to seminary? I think he struggled. And I think he struggled at first because he knew the cost of it. But who I was made sense. What do you mean by that? Well, he, after coming to Christ, he observed me in the church. He saw the gifts that God had given me. He'd seen the congregation's response to me, the elders' kind of um, ordination of my ministry roles. And he had observed my life and been a part of my life. And so when I came to that point, it just made sense. What he feared was the cost of ministry to his son. Hmm. Many years later, after my first full-time ministry, my dad took me aside. He was visiting. He took me aside, took me around behind a vehicle right before he shut the door and drove off. And you just said something very simple. Son, this makes sense. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And I see it, and I'm so proud of you. Hmm. There are so many men deep into life who've never heard that. Mm -hmm. 
And the Father never provided that kind of clarity, but it's been hiding in the wide open ever since. I mean, that's a liberating thing to men. And I'd want, I'd want dads to not miss the simplicity of that, nor the power. Because I see a lot of grown men today who have needed an authority figure, a father, first of all, to step into their lives and say, uh, Byron, you're gifted. You are really good in this area. And I think God's hand is upon you. I believe in you. And I think he's got great things in store for you. And to express the power of an older man reaching to a younger man, calling him up. I think every younger man needs not just one conversation. He needs multiple conversations. Your dad wrote you a note at one point. He did. I was going to get married, and I needed to change jobs to build a little nest egg, and I had one of these small little crises in my life. And so I went to my dad, which in and of itself is an awesome thing. You know, I have no idea how many times I've wanted to pick up the phone in the past 15 years and call this man with just absolute trust and faith. But he was there. I was still living in his home at the time, and I went downstairs and just sat down and talked to him and asked him some advice. And we talked, and he prayed, and I went to bed, and the next morning I woke up, and on the kitchen counter was this note on one of these prescription pads that my dad had, and it said, you know, son... I'll support you in whatever decision you make. I'm proud of you. Love Dad. And I had the state of mind to just absorb what that meant and the gesture of love that was there. And I took that note and buried it in a book that I knew that I would never lose and have kept it with me. And there are just a lot of men, sons, who don't have that type of fixture in their life. And it was so impactful to me. I've reciprocated that in my own son's lives, observing their lives where they're good and leaving them notes of sorts, but speaking into their life, helping them see themselves. I mean, they're supposed to be short-sighted. I mean, there's no way they can observe their life. And I don't want them discovering who they are late in life or what their challenges are late in life. I don't want their wives to have to finish my role in raising them. I, 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 I want to love them, and I do love my sons. And so that note, that just that palpable moment of my father's love encouraging me in a particular direction, uh, particularly in marriage, was so impactful and so influential. It was a statement of belief in you as a man. Very much. An affirmation of you can do this thing. I'm for you. I'm going to cheer you on. Yeah, it was It was really one of those moments where he, he, you know, he goes from my caregiver to my coach and my friend. You know, there was, a, there was a sense in which we were operating on an equal plane at that moment. And just to have that respect from him to me was, you know, rocket fuel for my soul as a young man. How did your father die? He died in a car accident. He was uh, at his granddaughter's, um, one of his granddaughter's performances of play. He was crossing a street that, uh, driving back to the hospital that he had crossed hundreds of times. My sister was driving. And as they crossed, there's this little dip in the road, and a car was coming, wasn't speeding. And uh, they, they pulled out in front of the car, and uh, he suffered severe internal damage. 
and passed away. So after your dad's passing, I mean, you had to reflect back on your last encounter with him. That's a treasure. And one of the things I can say about my relationship with my father after he passed away is that there was absolutely no regrets, that our relationship was so strong and so transparent and so encouraging that we had said everything that needed to be said. And there was a lot of love between us, a lot of love in our family, um, a lot of affection proactively. But he was there visiting me and had the state of mind to pull me aside, having seen me in the context for which I was designed, and just say, I love you. I am so proud of you. This makes total sense. God is going to use you in great ways. And I just thought, you might need to know that. And we hugged, and (laughs) he was gone. I just had this exchange with my father that every man has yearned for in their life, and few have received. And I would say to most men who are listening right now, they need to reflect not merely on what was said to them by their fathers or what wasn't said, because it'd be real easy to fall into that, but reflect on what the conversations are that they're having with their sons and their daughters and their wives and how they are expressing love, affection, belief, affirmation, encouragement. I mean, life has a way of knocking the stuffings out of people. I mean, it's tough. This is a tough time to be alive and attempt to follow Christ. And um, I think if there's ever been a time when we needed strong men, courageous men, men who were reaching into the lives of those around them, it's today. And uh, Byron, I, I want to express my appreciation for you telling your story and for, for this book. I think it's going to encourage a lot of men to have some talks and some conversations with their sons, their daughters, and their wives, and maybe some friends that uh, otherwise they wouldn't have and, and probably regret. Thanks for being on the broadcast. It's my privilege. Thank you, Dennis. Yeah, I think the issue for a lot of guys, Dennis, is that... Uh, they want to have those conversations. They just need the, the the coaching. They need somebody to help them with what that looks like. And that's what Byron has done in the book. And we've got copies of the book, What Every Man Wishes His Father Had Told Him, in our Family Life Today Resource Center. If you go online at familylifetoday.com, there's information about the book. You can order it from us online if you'd like. Again, the website is familylifetoday.com. Or call toll-free 1-800-FL-TODAY and uh, ask for information on how you can get a copy of Byron's book, What Every Man Wishes His Father Had Told Him. And when you get in touch with us, uh, get information as well about the upcoming uh, Family Life Stepping Up National Men's Conference. This is taking place in Chicago on Saturday, August 4th. But it's also being simulcast in churches all across the country, hundreds of churches that are going to be uh, host sites for this event. And if you'd like your church to be one of those sites hosting this National Men's Conference featuring Dennis Rainey, Crawford Loritz, James McDonald, and Robert Lewis, go to familylifetoday.com. Click on the link that says Stepping Up. It'll take you to an area of our web where there's more information about the National Men's Conference, the Stepping Up National Men's Conference, and about the Stepping Up video series that is being released in August as well. Ten sessions that you can go through with a small group of guys, or you can go through it with your men's ministry at church. 
Again, more information about the event and the video series when you go to familylifetoday.com and click on the link that says Stepping Up, or give us a call if you have any questions at 1-800-FL-TODAY. Now, we are uh, near the end of the month of May, and we're also near the end of the time period that was set aside for the matching gift fund that Family Life has had in place during the month of May. Back at the beginning of the month, we had some friends who came to us and said, we'd like to match every donation you receive this month, dollar for dollar. Uh, And they put aside $650,000, put that in the matching gift fund, and said, as soon as you raise funds, we'll release some of those matching funds. And so we're hoping to take full advantage of that matching gift fund. And we've got today and tomorrow still left to do that. If you've not made a donation to Family Life today during the month of May, can we ask you to do that today or tomorrow so that we can take full advantage of this matching gift fund? Go online at familylifetoday.com and make a gift or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. Make a donation over the phone. Again, your donation is going to be effectively doubled because of this matching gift fund. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. 1-800-FL-TODAY is the number or make a donation online at familylifetoday.com. And be sure to be back with us again tomorrow. We're going to continue talking about dads raising sons. Dr. Randy Stinson from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, is going to be here with us. Hope you can be back with us as well. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, and our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We will see you back tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today, hope for tomorrow.